Hi, and welcome back to the Itchy Podcast. My name is Lindsay, and I'm the Managing Editor for Infection Control and Hospital Epidemiology, or Itchy. Itchy is the official journal for the Society for Healthcare Epidemiology of America. In today's episode of the podcast, I'll be speaking with Jenny Kwan and Carrie Ann Burnham about their article from the May issue titled, Assessment of Antibiotic-Resistant Organism Transmission Among Rooms of Hospitalized Patients, Healthcare Personnel, and the Hospital Environment Utilizing Surrogate Markers and Selective Bacterial Cultures. Before we get started, listeners should note that this article is available for journal CME. Listeners can go to learningce.shay-online.org to browse the course catalog and quickly and easily earn their credit. Now let's get started. Welcome, Dr. Kwan and Dr. Burnham, to the podcast. To begin, can you introduce yourself to our listeners? Hi, thank you, Lindsay, for inviting us to this podcast. My name is Jenny Kwan. I am an assistant professor in infectious diseases at Washington University in St. Louis, Missouri, and an associate hospital epidemiologist at Barnes Jewish Hospital. Our interest is in antibiotic-resistant organ transmission within the healthcare setting and in hospital epidemiology. Hello. My name is Carrie Ann Burnham, and I'm a professor of pathology and immunology at Washington University in St. Louis and the medical director of the Clinical Microbiology Laboratory at Barnes Jewish Hospital. I have the great opportunity of working closely with Dr. Kwan on the investigation of microorganism transmission in the clinical laboratory and in healthcare settings. Great. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Can you give our listeners a brief overview of what you did in this study and what you found? Absolutely. In our study, we assessed the potential for transmission of antibiotic-resistant organisms in the healthcare setting utilizing surrogate markers of infectious agents. Our surrogate markers included a combination of MS2, which is a non-pathogenic bacteriophage, and this can serve as a surrogate for viral transmission. In addition, we used fluorescent markers and bacterial cultures. We applied MS2 and fluorescent markers in patient rooms. We selected high-touch surfaces, including the front of the patient's gown, the top of the bed rail, the bedside table, and computer mouse. We then observed healthcare providers visiting the rooms for up to four hours per room. Some of the patients were on contact precautions for VRE or MRSA, and others were not on contact precautions. We recorded hand hygiene compliance as healthcare providers left the room and assessed the healthcare providers for fluorescence. In addition, swabs were collected for MS2 detection using molecular methods, PCR, and for selective bacterial cultures to look for microorganisms, including Staph aureus and VRE. We also assessed surfaces inside and outside the patient rooms for surrogate markers. Dr. Kwan, can you share with the group what we found? Absolutely, and thank you for that really wonderful summary. So we included 25 patients and observed a total of 77 healthcare professionals in this study. We found evidence of fluorescent marker transfer to surfaces in 80% of the patient rooms and on 34% of healthcare workers. The transfer of MS2 was detected for 40% of rooms and 19% of healthcare professionals. Bacterial cultures were positive for one room and eight healthcare professionals. When we look at the data a little bit closer, Overall, fluorescent marker detection did not differ significantly by healthcare professional type, for example, if it was a nurse versus a physician. However, MS2 was recovered more frequently from physicians rather than nurses. Taking a closer look at the data, in patient rooms, the most common areas where we detected fluorescence 
was the computer keyboard, workspace counter, and door handles. We also were able to detect fluorescence on the nurse's station and the medication safety cabinets. The most common areas for fluorescence on healthcare workers were on the hands and their clothing. Now let's focus a little bit on the hand hygiene results. Overall, only 18% of healthcare professionals perform hand hygiene at room entry and 52% performed hand hygiene at room exit. Interestingly, hand hygiene compliance at room entry did not differ by patient isolation status, but hand hygiene compliance at room exit was much better among healthcare professionals caring for patients on contact precautions as compared to those who are not on precautions. Additionally, healthcare professionals who did perform hand hygiene were found to have fewer detections of fluorescent markers. And so how do you explain the difference in transfer rates using fluorescent markers versus MS2? This is a great question and something we have thought about a lot. Although there are a few studies that have utilized both fluorescent powder and MS2 as surrogate markers, this is relatively uncommon, but these other studies have also reported higher rates of fluorescent powder compared to MS2 detection. Our hypothesis is that the markers transfer differently on different types of surfaces and that potentially the fluorescent markers may be a more sensitive method for detection of low level transmission events. It's also quite possible that these markers model different types of contamination. It seems that the fluorescent powder is a good model for gross bacterial contamination or organic matter contamination and that MS2 may better simulate viral contamination events. Thus, using these as complementary approaches can be an enhancement to assessing transmission events in a study setting. And what does this mean to practicing hospital epidemiologists in terms of transfer of pathogens and the use of contact precautions? In the current environment where rates of antibiotic-resistant organisms are increasing and we have emerging infectious diseases, the role of contact precautions to prevent pathogen transfer is really a point of great interest. What this study demonstrates is that both MS2 and fluorescent markers were identified less frequently amongst healthcare professionals caring for patients on contact precautions, although this difference only reached significance for fluorescent markers. We also found that healthcare professionals caring for patients on contact precautions more frequently perform hand hygiene at room exit, and that healthcare professionals who performed hand hygiene had fewer fluorescent marker detections. Other studies have also reported an association between contact precautions and hand hygiene compliance. We know that contact precautions can be a burden to healthcare professionals and ongoing evidence to illustrate the effectiveness of contact precautions is important. This study suggests that both contact precautions and hand hygiene play an important role in preventing the spread of antibiotic-resistant organisms. This study also leaves us with some follow-up questions that require additional data, for example, how to improve hand hygiene compliance, and if contact precautions have a collateral benefit of encouraging better hand hygiene. Why do you think the hand hygiene rates were so low in this study period? That is a very important ongoing question. Hand hygiene rates in this study were definitely less than ideal. This may be due to study design issues, such as the fact that healthcare workers may have been performing hand hygiene when the door was closed inside the patient room. Thus, the observer may not have been able to witness the hand hygiene event, therefore underestimating compliance. However, the data in our study correlate well with our internal routine hand hygiene observation data, 
that indicate that hand hygiene amongst hospital staff is less than ideal, and multiple published studies have also shown this from peer institutions, showing less than ideal hand hygiene compliance rates. Dr. Kwan certainly raises a great point and illustrates an opportunity for improvement. We hope that the findings from our study highlight the importance of hand hygiene and the need for continued research and program development to improve hand hygiene in the healthcare setting to keep our patients and our healthcare workers safe. And my last question is, has this study or the results of this study informed any future or current research that you're working on? Definitely. These studies have really helped inform our current work, and we have ongoing studies regarding the use of personal protective equipment, hand hygiene, and the role of the environment in transfer of resistant organisms. So thank you so much, Lindsay, for um, having us on this podcast and the interest in our study. We are very pleased to be able to share this with the Shea community. This concludes episode 20 of the Itchy Podcast. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and thanks for listening.